Hey guys, Dr. Greg here. And on today's episode of The Daily Dose with Dr. Greg, I am gonna be all over social media. We had a pile of questions that came in. And, and a lot of times when we answer a question on social media, you may not actually see the answer. So I am jumping in and I'm answering questions from, from mold to eosinophils to type one diabetes. So, so stay tuned. It is Dr. Greg live answering your questions. Hey, Dr. Greg here, and on today's episode of The Daily Dose of Dr. Greg, I have a whole slew of questions from you guys from social media. So I'm gonna, I've got my laptop in front of me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna zip down through the questions, and I love the opportunity to answer these questions. You know, um, we exist to give people the tools that they deserve so that they can live life on their terms. And I think it's really important for people to be empowered. And I think it's also super important for you guys to understand that what we don't do is there is no magic pill on our supplement shelf. There is no easy button uh, in our program vault. The reality of this journey, the term that I that I use, and, and I'm having this conversation with you guys right now because this morning, I actually had a mental health therapist that came and, and met me here at the clinic because they were really curious about what we did. And they have, uh, actually I learned this morning that she actually uh, was originally diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And it, it got her digging in. So at the time she was, a, or she actually is a licensed marriage and family therapist, but then became very interested in the world of functional medicine. And then even more quickly became fully aware of how mental health and functional medicine are so intimately tied together. Um, this is why we talk about things like traumas and relationships. And, um, you know, we even talk about, um, like, for example, one of the things I talk about with functional medicine is I say functional medicine kind of like chews the meat and spits out the bones of all the different things in the world. Like, so for example, like I love lab work. I love running lab work. And I will many times run a lot of the similar lab tests that maybe your medical doctor would run, um, but I read it differently. Uh, for example, Chinese medicine, they talk about different organs having like different awake times in the body, um, even different organs having different emotions around them. Man, that's really interesting. So, and then even this world of, of mental health therapy and, and how our mental health can have this huge correlation into our overall well-being. You know, I really feel that, that, that true holistic health is really mind, body, spirit, and the ability to incorporate all of those and to journey with those at the same time. So um, the hope that we have is just the ability to continually come alongside you guys and give you tools that you deserve and give you um, the products that work. You know, for example, that's why I have my Life Boost coffee here. I love coffee. And the reality is most coffee that you drink, uh, this is gonna kind of sound like a commercial because I love their stuff. Most coffee that you drink is full of pesticides and herbicides. Um, it's full of glyphosate. We know that, like, for example, I just saw a statement, and I don't know if it's true or not, but there was something about Roundup uh, being taken away from like the um, like people having the ability to use it on their yards because of the billions of dollars of lawsuits against them right now. Well, that'd be cool because by the way, Life Boost actually checks their coffee for glyphosate inside of it, but also mold. If you're a coffee drinker, by the way, 63% ish 
of Americans are drinking coffee on a daily basis. It is the number one moldy coffee that we're drinking. And I just sat uh, in front of a, a seminar with Dr. Jack Wolfson talking about mycotoxins and how impactful they truly are in our health. So, so much to unpack, but I'm going to jump into some of the questions here. And um, so one of the questions has to do with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So this person said, so if you find and treat the stressor causing my Hashimoto's, will I be able to stop thyroid meds? Oof. That's always a big question. And what I guess what I hear inside of this question is this person's heart is saying, if I don't have to take medications, I would rather not. And I will also say that I fall into the same boat. Now, completely legal statement here. I cannot prescribe or unprescribe. Um, this is just advice. Um, but a lot of our patients do work with their local uh, practitioners to say, hey, could I at least decrease my amounts? Now, here, are, here is just something that I've found. Uh, so, for example, we had a patient. Uh, she was probably in her 50s by the time she found us, and she had Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but she actually had hypothyroidism before she was even knew that she was making antibodies. Now, in reality, she was probably making antibodies a long time before that. So, uh, but she had been taking um, a thyroid medication for about 20 years before we even found out that she had Hashimoto's. So we started to address the infections and the toxicity and open up the drainage pathways. And even though her, um, her thyroid numbers got better and her autoimmune numbers got substantially better, when she tried to jump off of her thyroid medications, she did not do very well. So here's my thought on that. What happens was when you take a synthetic hormone, uh, regardless of what hormone you're taking, you're telling your body, hey, I've got this. I don't need you to do this anymore for me. And in this case, this one was doing it for about 20 years, right? So what happened then is when we try to say, hey, it's your job that you used to do a long time ago. We need you to do, get, do it again. The body just really didn't do a good job with that. So in that, in that case, she had to stay on her thyroid medication. Now, behold, she's taking about half the dose that she was. Um, but what I tell people is we don't know because it's, it, and there's not this like magic length of time that I found. It's not like, hey, if you've been on it for three years or less, there's a good chance you can get off of it. Um, so I, I would say ultimately we want to, we want to get you healthier, but everyone's different when it comes to getting off the thyroid meds. Next question, and this one, and again, these questions typically are questions come from Facebook or TikTok or Instagram. This one says, can chronic anxiety cause Hashimoto's thyroiditis? And the answer is absolutely. We have to understand that what I have found in my world, so when I run lab tests, 95 plus percent of the lab tests that I run on people that have a known autoimmune disease. So by the way, there's hundreds of autoimmune diseases. The most common ones would be rheumatoid arthritis, MS, um, Hashimoto's, Graves' disease, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, Crohn's disease, irritable bowel. 95 plus percent of those people have infection and toxicity on their labs. Now, <laughs> respectfully, there really is no lab for stress. I was actually speaking with a mental health therapist today and I was like, you know, I need something that looks like a lab that gives me kind of a state of the union of the mental health. And she's like, you know, there are actually standardized questionnaires. So those are some of the things that we're going to start using in our clinic, though. Here's the point, And this is exactly the comment that I gave to this person. I said, anything, anything that decreases your immune system function has the ability to allow your body to have autoimmunity set up shop. 
You see, understand that anxiety is really no different than a parasite infection, really no different than a stressful marriage, really no different than getting in a horrendous car accident. What it does is it demands energy and attention from your immune system. Um, when I talk about immune system, the analogy that I tell people, it's kind of like this. Think of your immune system being like the teacher in an elementary school classroom. And, and by the way, um, the, the little shenanigans in the room, the infections and toxicities are almost always there. So, but what happens is when the immune system is robust and it's being supported, the immune system can, can tell those little shenanigans that they need to keep their nose in the corner and they can't speak. Well, that, so then therefore the, the immune system, the teacher can pay attention to the rest of the classroom and it can go on. But what happens then is chronic anxiety, a, a physical trauma, uh, we travel someplace, we get a blatant infection or we get exposed to mold. What happens then is the teacher has to take their attention off of the students that are in the room. And then once the students realize that the teacher is not paying attention to them, they turn around, they're like, hey, teacher's gone or teacher's not focusing on me. And all of a sudden they show their face. So it's really important for understand that anything that can take it's your focus off of your immune system has the ability to allow autoimmunity to take over from that standpoint. So hopefully that's helpful for you guys. Another question from social similar, uh, could endometriosis and interstitial cystitis cause Hashimoto's? Well, in my opinion, actually endometriosis is an autoimmune disease. That's my opinion. And interstitial cystitis is actually a bladder infection. So interstitial is the, the cells of the bladder itself and cystitis. Anything that says itis at the end is inflammation of. So the reality is this, anything that can stress your system has the ability to set your system in a tailspin. Anything, your, your body only has really so much energy to go around, right? So if there's these extra stressors inside of your body, then the reality is that your body can get overwhelmed and your body just has a lot to deal with from that standpoint. So um, by the way, also this post comes to mind that many times we will see people that have multiple autoimmune diseases. It is not uncommon. For example, my the first exposure that I had to autoimmunity was actually my uh, my wife's grandma. She had Crohn's disease, which is a gut issue, and MS, which is a neurological issue. So it's many times these things can travel in groups. So here's someone that says, I'm a nurse who gives uh, patients Remicade for Crohn's. That's, a, that's an injection for the autoimmune disease. A relative of mine gets the same thing and has tried diet modifications without success. What would you recommend instead? Uh, I am not at all ever saying that diet's not important. I mean, the reality is food is medicine. And so I have a patient, and just speaking about food, I, I have to say this right now. So she buys the, the, the grass-fed, free-range beef. She buys the wild-caught salmon. She gets the organic vegetables. And then she consumes these literally while she's doing 85 miles an hour down the interstate onto her next appointment. <laughs> and I say to her, Nancy, real name, by the way, Nancy, how well do you think your body's actually benefiting from these foods that you're spending all this crazy money on when you're hauling ass down the interstate and your body's trying to process them? And she's like, yeah, good point, Dr. Greg. <laughs> 
Now, food's important. And many times, the question is also like, is it really the food? Because we know, for example, like I have nothing against wheat. What I have an issue with is that farmers are spraying their wheat crops with Roundup three days before they harvest their 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 crop. That completely changes the bioavailability. It completely changes what happens in our gut. There's this thing called the shikimate pathway, real word, shikimate pathway that actually does not allow the microbiome of our gut to function properly when we have glyphosate on board. So it's not just diet, right? Nancy doing 85 miles an hour down the interstate is, is stressed. So if you're stressed and you're trying to eat the healthy food, your body's like, yeah, I can't, I can't focus on digestion right now. I got to get to my next appointment. So what I really was trying to tell her is you got to slow down. You got to give yourself some time to benefit from these things. You know, we're, we're human beings, right? Last I checked, not human doings. Yet all day long, what are we doing? We're go, go, go. As opposed to like, what do I need right now? And even in, in lieu of this, someone might say like, what's your diet for Crohn's? There isn't one. What does your body need? What do you, what do you feel like? Now, respectfully, if you feel like, you know, a six pack of Budweiser and a Big Mac, then we should probably reassess how you feel. Yet, do we have enough time to slow down, assess our feelings, ask our body from a nutrient standpoint, what do I need? Or why am I grabbing that jug of or can of or bottle of or bag of at eight o'clock at night? What am I trying to cover up? What am I trying to create space for? What am I trying to escape from? Questions worth asking. You see, when you treat people well and appropriately, and again, I had that conversation this morning in my clinic with a, with a mental health therapist, you have to understand that it's like, so the basis is this, the body is designed to heal. And, and this is not a creation evolution conversation, regardless of all of that and what your thought process is on that, the body does not need help. It just needs no interference. So the real question is, what is the interference in the way? And that's what we're trying to go after. So we're eating clean. We're figuring out if there's infection or toxicity. We're looking at relationships, self-talk, and all of those concepts. And we go on a journey with those things. And truly, that's how we get better. So great question. Another question here. <clears throat> Thank you for the priceless information you feed us. Uh, you have never spoken about type 1 diabetes. Would you share some wisdom, please? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for the question, by the way. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you have a question, send it our way. Uh, I don't know that we get to every single question, but we do our very best to reach out and, and be a part of this. So type 1 diabetes is yet another autoimmune disease. And what happens over time is your body has the inability to produce insulin because of the stress at the uh, the pancreas. And, and it's really no different. Now, what is what we're really asking here is what is our philosophy around autoimmunity and how do we treat autoimmunity? I think that's really where this question is is coming along from that standpoint. Um, by the way, when we treat people with autoimmunity that are taking medications, like for example, someone with type one diabetes is more than likely um, on insulin, has an insulin pump, or gives themselves insulin injections. The hope is that. Um, I would never tell someone, oh, we're going to get you off insulin. I've never said that, by the way. And, and if someone has told you that, that would probably be a, a red flag. Um, but the ultimate goal, though, 
would be number one, could we keep you from having to have more need of insulin or could there potentially be the need for less in regards to that? So how do we do that? First off, we don't guess, we test. And what type of testing do we do? Do we do? So first off, we look at things like anemia markers, like where's your body's iron stores and are you, are you, are you anemic? We look at micronutrients like vitamin B12 and vitamin D and folate. And then we love looking at the heart. The heart is this very intricate system that is both a responder to, to stress, like from a negative standpoint, but also a proactive responder to stress. So we'll see shifts in HDL and LDL and total cholesterol because of what's going on in the body. We then look at the liver and the kidneys and the gut. By the way, drainage. Uh, I will talk about drainage until the Lord takes me home. Uh, so the drain, drainage is this. Drainage is how things are designed to get out of your body, right? So the most, the, the most common things that you think about are your gut, right? You poop things out. Yes, we talk about poop here. And then your, your kidneys, which means you pee stuff out. So those are the obvious things. Yet think about this. Your liver, huge. We all heard, we've all heard about like liver detox. Your liver actually dumps into your gut, your lymphatic system. By the way, 80% of your lymphatic system sits around your liver and large intestine. So if your gut is not functioning, it literally gives some of the other very largest drainage organs, kind of like the Heisman, like, nope, sorry, no room at the end. You can't, you can't drain here. Your brain actually has its own drainage pathway. It's called the glymphatic system. Isn't that crazy? Brain fog. Um, think of your sweat glands. Your body uses your sweat glands to get things out. Also uses them to cool your body off. And then probably one of the most least appreciated is your, uh, your respiratory system. Your respiratory system is actually designed to use things that come through. If you think about this, every drop of air you've ever breathed in your life is processed by your respiratory system. So we have to think about that. And what are we doing with that? And, and what are the tools and tips that we have around coming after your respiratory system? So, so we have to make sure that, the, that, like they say on the airplane, right, that all exit pathways are wide open, but there also has to be enough gas in the tank. Now, gas in the tank isn't, you know, energy drinks and tons of caffeine. It is actually understanding at a, at a cellular level, mitochondrial function, like going back into the Krebs cycle and looking at these pathways and supporting it. You know, what I tell people on their journeys is, is we're going to have mountain passes that we get to go over on this journey together. But what we don't know is how your body is going to respond to the journey or what's going to happen halfway up that mountain pass. What we do know is that you have to have enough gas in the tank and things have to be able to get out. And then not just the, the clinical aspect, but there's also very much an emotional, mental, spiritual journey. You know, in this clinic, we talk about trauma. Um, you know, there's capital T traumas. You know, we talk about things like abuse and, and neglect. Uh, and then there's little T traumas like, you know, I had a little brother that, that picked on me a bunch, right? Maybe a dad that was an alcoholic. Now that could actually be a, a, a capital T trauma. Those are real things. Um, the only way out is through. Uh, and the ability to journey through those areas, the ability to give yourself some grace and some forgiveness, uh, to love yourself, to slow down enough to say, where am I? Is this where I want to be? And then I think one of the most important things is to really realize what you actually have control over in your life. You know, a good friend of mine said you have control over three things, what you say, what you think, and what you imagine. 
and those can be put into different buckets as well. But there's just really so few things we actually have control over in our life. So um, I believe that people have the ability to get well. And, and two, when people come in with that, we've got this mentality and I've got what it takes as opposed to here's what's happened to me and I'm a victim, like, like you can totally hedge the bets to get well. So uh, autoimmunity is truly one of our favorite things to work with in this clinic. Um, and, and we're good at it because we use a lot more tools than just a magic pill. By the way, there isn't a magic pill. Good question. All right, get a sip of my Life Boost coffee here. Next question, I have hyper-eosinophilia for almost 10 years with no cause. Any suggestions? Well, no cause is really maybe no explanation. <laughs> Eosinophils, by the way, if you get a CBC or a complete blood count and they run what's called their differentials, which are the breakdowns of the different types of white blood cells. So this person's saying that when they do that type of a white blood cell count, the eosinophils are always high. And, and I'm guessing um, with no cause means that their doctor's saying, no clue. Well, the reality is there is insight. By the way, um, eosinophils are actually linked to parasites. Now, full disclosure, full disclaimer, if you're listening to this and you have hyper eosinophilia or high eosinophils, please do not go and find the latest parasite cleanse. If you have parasites, it means that your body probably isn't able to get rid of them on their own, which probably means that your drainage pathways are not able to do the proper detoxification. So if you have hyper eosinophilia, the question that I have is what else is going on? The chance of there being leaky gut, the chance of there being liver stress, the chance of there being micronutrient deficiency is through the roof. So in a case like this, I said to this person, you must dig deeper. If you, it means that you, that you have other issues, right? Because if your body's building up parasites in your system, it also means that your body's not able to get rid of them. So great question. I love, I always love questions on labs because I love reading labs. So thanks for the question. All right. A question from at Katie here says, why is liver stress important here? What does that have to do with a positive ANA or anti-nuclear antibody? Miss Katie, I love questions like this. Um, so, so here's the scoop. We have to understand, like, what does the liver do? So um, number one, and mostly females listen to us. So if you're a dude listening to us, hats off to you. You probably have a, a woman in your life that you're helping out with these, with these conversations. Um, so if you're a female, your liver actually has a lot to do with your menstrual cycle. So your liver actually has to do with the estrogen and progesterone shift at ovulation, and then the estrogen and progesterone shift again at menstruation. That's number one. Number two, and this is more endocrine conversation, 60% of your T4, thyroid 4 hormone, 60% of it gets converted in the, in the liver to T3, which is the active form. So T4, think of T4 like crude oil and T3 is like gasoline. So 60% of that conversion happens in liver. By the way, 20% happens in the gut. Um, so that's important. And then lastly, think of this. Every three to six minutes, depending upon your body size and your pulse rate and your level of activity, every three to six minutes, every drop of blood in your body goes through your liver. And there's this thing called 
phase two liver conjugation. There's this thing called cytochrome P450. Your liver is one of your largest detoxifying organs in your body. So when we talk about a positive ANA, it tells me that there is some type of autoimmune activity going on. And if you've listened to any of my videos on autoimmunity, you'll know that if there's a, anything that shows autoimmunity, there's a 95 plus percent correlation with chronic infection or chronic toxicity, which is obviously a burden on the liver. So the liver is hugely important. I joke and say it's the most overworked, underpaid organ in our body. Uh, we got to love the liver. Oh, and by the way, you, you also hear me talk about um, like Chinese medicine at times. So in Chinese medicine, they will actually say that the liver is associated with anger. They'll also tell you that the liver's active time is 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. So if you're one of those people that's like, man, I wake up like 3.30 or, or 2.45, like almost every night. What's that all about? Could be another sign that your liver's trying to talk to you. So the liver, I love it. We're going to love it uh, uh, and support it. And, and by the way, also, and we can talk about this on other videos, I believe that the liver will also in sometimes sacrifice the gallbladder when it's very, very toxic. So if you've had a gallbladder uh, removal or cholecystectomy, I have yet to see labs on someone that's had a gallbladder removal that doesn't show liver stress. So pretty interesting finding there. Great question. Oh, last question I'll go through today. Man, this is an important one. This question said, can I stay in a moldy environment with the hopes of detoxifying with supplements? Uh, the short answer is no. <laughs> you can't um, try to have something drain out the bottom when, the, when it's getting dumped in from the top. Um, what I really also probably hear you saying is, I don't know if there's even a chance of me to move out of this house or this apartment. Like, that's not feasible. Um, and I, and I, I, my heart goes out to you because you're in a tough spot. The reality, though, is, is you're never going to fix mycotoxins in your system if you are currently continually being exposed. And a lot of people don't know that they're being exposed. So, um, so my heart goes out to you because you know that you're exposed, but big picture, man, that's, that's a huge burden. That's a huge load from that standpoint. Now there are pharmaceuticals and there are supplements that can help this. So what I would tell you is if like, okay, I hear you, but dude, there's like no chance, like, but I want to do something. So there are things, there are, there are mold kits that we utilize that can help in those situations. But ultimately here's what I want you to really, truly think about. Like I had a friend say this on, on, on a, in a seminar yesterday. And I was like, did you just say that? So he had, a, he had a, a patient in Florida that was living in a moldy home. And he literally said this, I want you to take a shower and literally leave that house with nothing on. And I was like, what do you, what? Because what he was really saying was all of your clothes, all of your furniture, pretty much everything that you have has mold. Now I understand that there's things that can be cleaned off, but like for sure, couches and that kind of stuff, mattresses, pillows, my goodness. Um, it's a big deal. That's what we're really saying is that it's a big, big deal. By the way, you can also test for it. There is proper mycotoxin testing because you also want to know like, what are you being exposed to? So um, I love getting questions, you guys, and I'm, and I'm grateful for these questions. Um, by the way, if you find value in our podcast, we would love that you could just share it with people. Literally, the daily dose of Dr. Greg exists 
to come alongside you guys, to love on you guys, to bring in amazing guests. I mean, we have us, uh, we have some amazing people planned for our upcoming episodes. Uh, we're going to have some riffing back and forth with, with Eric and our team, with, with th- some of the things that we do. Um, so share this. And also if you would, if you would so kindly leave us a five-star review. So I am, I am a supplement user. I love supplements. I'm crazy picky with the supplements that we do use. Uh, if you leave a five-star review, wherever you listen to podcasts, we will put you into a drawing for a free bottle of DV3. It is the only vitamin D product that I have used now for about eight or nine years in my clinic. It changes the labs. It changes hormone levels. It makes people's immune systems more robust. So we would love to bless you with one of those. All you got to do is put in a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I also just wanted to just, again, just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity for us to serve you. Send your questions. Follow us on social. Uh, you can find us at, uh, at drgreghealth at, uh, at TikTok and Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, but get the word out here, you guys. The reality is, and this was a patient of mine. A patient of mine about 15 years ago said this to me. Dr. Greg, who do you think you are knowing what you know and not sharing it with everybody? And that's why we exist. So have a great day. Have yourself a sip of Life Boost Coffee. Make it a good one. Take care.